Welcome to the ArchMI Podcast, featuring our senior customer trainer, Blaine Rita. Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, or ArchMI, is a leading provider of mortgage insurance, or MI, in the United States. Our competitive pricing tool, ArchMI RateStar, is the leading risk-based pricing platform in the industry, providing rates based on a thorough understanding of the underlying risk. Here's your host, Blaine Rada. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Blaine Rada with Arch Mortgage Insurance, or ArchMI as we like to say. I've been in the mortgage industry for over 30 years, but one of the coolest things about the job I have now is that I get to travel around the country meeting with lenders of all shapes and sizes and speaking at various events. And it gives me a perspective or a, a view of the landscape, so to speak, that you wouldn't normally have just doing the work where you do it. And so, you know, I want to be able to share some of that perspective with you. And in a moment, I'm going to talk a little bit about what you can expect from these. But one of the things that's never mentioned in my bio is that I'm a thief. And what I mean by that is that I steal time. I'm stealing your time right now. Uh, This time that you're investing to listen to this, you will never get back. And I take that responsibility really seriously. I want to make sure that I put as much value as I possibly can in whatever time you have to listen. But I'll try to keep my comments as concise as possible and as valuable as they can possibly be. You know, really what it comes down to as I, as I look at why I'm even doing this is that I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to share ways that you can separate yourself from the competition. You know, b- b- borrowers, buyers, clients, customers, they have more choices today for anything that they want to buy or any service they want to they want to hire than they've ever had before. And it really is a crowded marketplace. It's difficult to find ways to separate yourself. And so I'd like to share some ideas that I think will be very helpful in that regard. And I also want you to find ways to differentiate yourself, uh, to not only separate, but to somehow be different or unique. And a lot of this, frankly, is is up to you. I mean, I, I'm not the one necessarily with, with the ideas. I'm going to stimulate some thinking and, and get you thinking about these ideas a little bit, but you're really going to come up with what has meaning for you and how can you use it. So in terms of what you can expect from these, um, you know, these are not scripted. Uh, I really just want to have a conversation with you. That, that probably gets our, our legal team at Arch a little nervous because they're not exactly sure what this guy Blaine is going to say. But um, I can't have a conversation with you if my remarks are scripted. So that means you might hear a few ums and uhs, or I may need to pause, or I may need to just collect my thoughts for a minute, or I may just give you a moment to pause and reflect on what I just said. Uh, that's totally okay with me. I, this, this can still be professional, but doesn't have to be choreographed. Also, um, I'm really known as a high-content presenter. So what that means if I'm speaking to an audience live and in person is that there's a tremendous amount of information that I'm trying to pass on, which means the audience members are really engaged and not only thinking about what they're hearing, but they're taking a lot of notes. Uh, They're trying to capture the ideas that they're getting as they hear me speak. And, you know, the the difficulty in a podcast is that you very well might be multitasking while you're listening to this. In fact, that's kind of the whole idea oftentimes. Now, multitasking is a whole other topic that we'll cover in a later session. But, you know, if you're working out or you're driving, I certainly don't want you to, you know, feel like you have to take a piece of paper out and write something down. In fact, if you're driving, please don't. Um, But what that might mean is that you know, you might want to listen to these more than once. And that's one of the reasons I'm going to try to keep these pretty brief so that you can do just that. I do need to tell you right off the bat what I believe about sales and selling, since most of these, uh, my intention is that most of these are really going to be about that, that, that way of doing business, the sales process, the, the art of selling. And it, it's really important that you know 
what is my worldview as it relates to sales? And I'm going to say something that might sound a little contra- contradictory or controversial to you, and that is that I do not believe that selling is about getting the sale. Now, right away, somebody's like, what? <laughs> what is this guy talking about? What do you mean selling is not about getting the sale? Here's what I mean. I think that the focus of selling should not be about getting the sale. It should be about establishing if you are the best fit for that customer, the client, whatever their need is. Are you the best fit for them? Now, if you just turn that around a little bit, what I'm implying is that if your focus is on establishing if you are the best fit for someone, then automatically that will lead to more sales. But as a consumer, I want to know that your focus is on helping me, on serving me, not on your commission or your sales targets or your goals. And of course, all those things are important. I'm not naive. I, I understand that we, we need to earn an income and we, we have goals that we have to achieve. And that's all very important. I just don't want that to be your single or most important focus. So again, my, my worldview on sales is that the selling is not about the sale. It's really about establishing if you're the best fit. And I do think that, you know, what's on our inside, it tends to show up on the outside, right? So if your motivation is really not in what is in the best interest of your customer, they can sense that. They can perceive that, even if it's very subtle. All right, so assuming you're still with me, um, let's, uh, let's get to the topic for this particular podcast. Today, I'd like to talk about what I call the value trifecta. And what I, what I want to get into a little more depth in is three words, three concepts that really are all about how are people influenced to choose you? What is it that influences people to choose you over all of, all of the other providers, so to speak? So I'll just tell you what the three words are, and then we'll go into more detail on each of them. Convenience, value, and trust. So the trust or value trifecta is convenience, value, and trust. CVT might be one way to remember it. Now, CVT, I know that also means continuously variable transmission. That's not what I'm talking about. CVT is convenience, value, and trust. And these are not just my words. I didn't just come up with this all by myself. If you're familiar with J.D. Power & Associates, uh, as, as you may know, they're all about measuring customer satisfaction. And they've spent millions of dollars and probably several years trying to research why do people buy where they buy? Of all the choices that you have to buy a particular product or service, what drives you to pick the one you pick? And if you look into their research, you'll see these same three words come up. So, you know, if it's good enough for J.D. Power & Associates, I think it's good enough for me. So let's take a look at each of these in a little bit more detail. That first word, C, convenience. So here's kind of the, the, the obvious version of what I'm talking about here. People want to do business in a way that is convenient for them. So just think about yourself. What does that mean? Like, are we talking about easy, fast, you know, 24-7 access, self-service, doing things online as opposed to having to meet people face-to-face? We all kind of have this sense of what does that word convenient mean? And so I'm going to, I'm going to give you some potential homework assignments if you choose to do them. Beyond the obvious, here's what I would suggest that you do. Define what convenience means in terms of how will I feel that if I work with you. In other words, just imagine that your customer, client, member, whatever you choose to call them, that they just asked you, hey, you know, I'm talking to lots of different people who offer the same thing you do. Tell me, how do you make it more convenient for me to do business with you? 
Like, what would be your response? Now, you probably already say a few things that are related to convenience, but I'd ask you to dig a little deeper and actually come up with your own definition. And, you know, sometimes the answer is actually personal. You know, there may be ways that your company, for instance, makes it very convenient for people to do business, but maybe just working with you, there's something that I'm going to get by working with you that could make this very convenient. So come up with your own definition to that question or your own answer to that question. If someone were to ask you, how, how do you make it convenient for me to work with you, what would you say? That would be kind of one piece of homework potentially that you could take away. Now, I would add another piece, which is start telling people that without being asked. In other words, a lot of people don't know to even ask. So convenience is important, but they may never ask you specifically how you make it convenient. So just make sure that as you're answering their questions and telling them about what you do and how you do it, that you're inserting your own definition of how you make it convenient. So define it, communicate it, and I'm going to suggest that you be very specific. And I can assure you, not very many people do this. Most people, when they talk about their products and services and doing business with them, they they actually sound like politicians. I hate to bring up politics because I know that can be very divisive. But one of the things I've noticed about politicians is that they say things in very general terms. In other words, there's kind of like no real commitment. There's no real answer to the question. And that, that's an easy out for them, right? I mean, if you don't have to be specific with somebody, you can tell them just about anything. And you're kind of right, right? You can't be proven wrong if you didn't give them any specific information. So I want you to sound different. Remember, this is all about separation and differentiation. So the way you sound different is that you be specific. Think of it this way. If, if you're a mortgage lender listening to this right now, and I called you up as a borrower, and I said, so um, what's your interest rate? And your response was, oh, we're very committed to low rates here. That's what we're all about here at XYZ Mortgage. We're very committed to low rates. I'd kind of be unsatisfied, right? I might say again, I'm sorry, I'm actually looking for a number. Can you tell me what your interest rate is? And if, again, you responded with, we're all about low rates here. That's what we're known for, low rates every day, all day long, low rates. This would obviously be ridiculous, right? You'd never answer that question that way. You'd have to be very specific. You would give someone, what is your rate? But now think about all the things that you offer that aren't just your rate, You know, if you don't always have the lowest rate in town, there's all kinds of things that you bring into that conversation, right? You talk about your service or you talk about your your values or your reputation or how quickly you close loans. In other words, you start bringing other things into the conversation for that person to consider besides the price. But yet when you talk about those other things, are you being as specific or are you just saying things like, well, we close loans very quickly here. You know, if I wanted to be a smart aleck and you told me that, I might say something like, well, tell me how many and how quickly do you exactly do you close them? So when you're thinking about your competitive advantages, right, those things that you have to offer that are besides price, what I'm suggesting is that, you know, you be specific, that you give people things that can actually be quantified. Now, in terms of things like reputation, You might be thinking, well, Blaine, how do I quantify reputation? Like, I could say that we've got a great reputation, but how do I actually quantify it? Well, we're actually going to touch on that in a little bit, a few minutes down the road here. But what about what other people have to say about you? What about third-party testimonials, customer reviews, stories and examples of how you've gone above and beyond to help people through very difficult situations? You know, we're very, very 
wired as human beings to listen to story over facts. So if you can take your facts and your statistics and your numbers and put them into actual examples and stories to share with people, that's very compelling. The reaction you want from people as you're talking to them is that they're leaning in, they're leaning forward, like, tell me more. That sounds very interesting. You know, I talked to three other people today and nobody said it just quite like the way you did. That's the response you get. And so I'm, I'm trying to just give you some ways to think about this that might help you get that response. You know, it really all, is all about what's, what so many companies now call the customer experience. If you haven't noticed, just start to watch advertisements now and notice how many people, how many companies are talking about the customer experience. So, you know, I try to take those lessons from the world that's outside of mortgage lending and bring them into mortgage lending. And so I'd, I'd ask myself something like this. Okay, as a mortgage professional, you're an expert in the process of mortgage lending. But the borrower and the realtor, by extension, is going through an experience called getting a loan, getting a mortgage. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is consider what is that experience. Not, not, don't tell me about your process. Don't tell me about how efficient you are and what kind of technology you have. Unless you can tell me how that actually affects the way it will feel to do business with you. So that may be another thing that you can think about is how, how would it feel for me to get a mortgage with you as opposed to somebody else down the street? You know, the problem with values and mission statements is that we're all kind of pulling from the same words, right? I could walk into any organization and find plaques and posters on the wall that would speak about what they believe to be important. And they're great sounding words. The problem is everybody's using the same words and they, again, they're not specific. So just to kind of recap, convenience, our first of the three in the trifecta, uh, try to come up with your own definition. What is the answer to the question, how do you make it convenient for me to do business with you? Next, just start communicating that. Let people know without being asked how you make it convenient for them to do business with you. And finally, be specific. Try not to sound like a politician. Don't give people just general phrases like, we have low rates, we close loans quickly, we're all about the customer, right? We're, we're driven by a service culture. Those all mean nothing unless you can actually quantify them with something that could be measured. All right, moving on. The V in CVT, value. This is another word that tends to get just kind of tossed around. And when a word gets tossed around a lot, especially in marketing, it tends to lose its, its value, frankly, uh, no pun intended. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask that you do kind of the same thing. Come up with your own definition. What is your value proposition? If instead of asking you what your interest rate is, I just asked you, so tell me, what's the value in my doing business with you? What would you say? Now, you're probably already doing this on some level, I'm sure, especially those of you that do this business very well. You know, you're seasoned veterans, you're very good at what you do. My sense is you're probably already aware of a lot of these ideas that I'm sharing, but I'm asking you to kind of revisit it, maybe go a little bit deeper. How would you answer the question, what is the value in my doing business with you? And then once you come up with your own definition, just start sharing it, right? Just start communicating it. You know, if you do things on social media, you know, if you post on social media, if you send out emails, if you, if you text people periodically in kind of a, a marketing way, these are the things that we should be putting in there, right? So the focus is really from the customer's perspective. And that's, that's, the, that's the key element here when we talk about value. See, you're experts at what you do, which means you look at the world through your own eyes. I mean, don't all of us? We're constantly looking at the world through our own eyes, but that's not the vision that your customer has. 
they need to know that you understand what they're going through. You need to be able to express things literally in the language that they would use that, that kind of touches on the needs that they actually have. You know, we talk a lot about demographics in our business. And I, I don't know that that's a bad idea, but what you do with a demographic is you identify something that you can see on the outside, right? So here's some examples of demographics, gender, age, uh, race or ethnicity. And then you kind of put everybody who's got that same characteristic into a bucket as if they're all the same. So let me introduce another word to you that you may not be as familiar with, psychographic. I'd like you to think about psychographics for a minute. A psychographic is what's on the inside of a person. It's what's in their, their head and their heart. You can't see it on the outside. So for instance, a first-time home buyer is a demographic. And you might think, well, this is the way to approach first-time home buyers. This is how I go about approaching first-time home buyers. If you really want to get good at this, you're going to want to start to dive a little deeper with that person and find out what's important to them. What do they value? What are, what are their aspirations? What are their fears? What are their desires? What are their anxieties? Again, as it all relates to mortgage lending, I'm not saying that we're giving them a therapy session and trying to understand them personally necessarily, but a psychographic is getting to know what's really important to a person. And if you can find a way to, to meet them with value there, right, that's a much, lover, much deeper level of uh, relationship and engagement than just looking at someone demographically. You know, again, in a future session, my plan is to talk about the word empathy. I'll just say for now that empathy is probably one of the most powerful words that you can ponder. See, empathy is not the same as compassion or sympathy. You know, you could be telling me about the difficulty you have in raising your teenage children. And if I don't even have children, I can be compassionate and sympathetic to your issues, right? But what if I've actually raised teenage children myself? Now I have a whole other level of empathy. And if I can bring that into our conversation together, we're going to have a bond, if you will, a relationship that's pretty strong. So what I'm suggesting from a business context is that you empathize with what it's like to be a first-time homebuyer or a realtor, perhaps. Now, most of you have probably not been realtors, even though they might be your one of your largest sources of business. One of your biggest customers could be a realtor, and yet you've never done their job. So you really don't have that strong of an ability to show empathy in that case. So obviously, don't worry about that. You can only show empathy when you can. What I'm suggesting, though, is when you can, you know, don't hesitate to do that. That brings incredible value to the conversation. Now, I want to give you some specific ways to maybe define value, because I know I'm giving you these things to think about and potential homework, and, and it may, you may still struggle with, how do I actually do that, though? So let me try to give you a couple of suggestions. Value on the, on the surface, very basic definition. It's the problem you solve, right? It's the need that you meet. Everybody has a need, everybody has a particular set of problems, and you're in the business of trying to help them navigate that, right? So how you do that, that in a way is your value, right? The problem you solve, the need that you have a solution for. Interesting thing about trying to solve people's problems. I think it was Albert Einstein that had a quote that went something like, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes trying to figure out what the problem is and only five minutes trying to solve it. Now, I think that's interesting because I think human nature is to actually do the opposite. I think our tendency is to rush to the solution. I'm sure you've had conversations with friends or a significant other where they haven't even finished explaining to you what their problem is that they're sharing with you, and you've already kind of figured out how to help them. Right? I've already figured out what your solution is. 
we, we tend to do the opposite of what Einstein is suggesting, right? If you, just, if you just spent 55 minutes out of an hour trying to figure out what the problem is and only five minutes on the solution, that might have a very different result than if we rush to the solution. So, so make sure you're mindful of that, right? Let's really understand what the problem is before we rush in with our solution. If you've, sh if you've seen the show Shark Tank, pretty popular program, um, and there's other shows like it, I'm sure, where basically somebody has to try to make a pitch, right? They're basically trying to sell, if you will, their idea, their product, their company, their vision. Notice what gets the attention of the people who are buying. What makes them lean in? What makes them want to know more? And it's kind of a combination of knowing your value, right? So what is it that I, what is it that I do? What problem do I solve? And maybe more importantly, how is that any different than everybody else that says they do the same thing? So again, in, in coming up with how you solve problems, be looking for the things that make it unique. Be looking for the ways that you do things differently. Because frankly, you know, you might be a great problem solver, but if you solve problems the same way that everybody else does, then why would I choose you to do business with? Because you're really, I mean, you could be very good, but you're no different than everybody else that's already out there. All right, so that's one way to kind of look at value. Another suggestion I have for you is to consider the, the idea of pain and pleasure. You know, we're really pretty simple human beings. Pretty much all day long. Think about it. Think about your life. All day long, we're basically doing two things. We're seeking pleasure and we're avoiding pain. That's all we do from the time we get up to the time we go to sleep. We're seeking pleasure and avoiding pain in all kinds of different ways. But if I were to ask you, which of those two drives is stronger which is the greater motivator, seeking pleasure or avoiding pain? Now, I'm sure you can think of examples of things that you do that could be either one of those. But here's what the researchers would tell you. The researchers that study this stuff would say, it's about pain, man. It's about avoiding pain. We will avoid pain at all cost. So that's interesting. So think about any kind of marketing or advertising that you ever, that you ever see, whether it be you know television, radio, internet. Isn't it pretty much touching on those two things? When somebody's marketing something to you, they're either trying to increase your pleasure or decrease your pain. So if decreasing pain is the higher motivator, here's a really interesting question. How are you the Tylenol for my mortgage headache? Now there's, there's legitimate pain in the process of buying and selling a home and getting a mortgage and right. I mean, there's actually, it's, it's not, it's not just all unicorns and rainbows, right? Sometimes you're competing against companies who are out there making it sound like, oh, this is easy. This is no problem. We all know in this industry, you know, it's difficult. It's challenging. It's not always fun. So how is it that when those pain points happen that you actually make it less painful? Now, I, now don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting we focus on pain, right? I'm not suggesting that as soon as you start talking to somebody, you say things like, you know what? You're, gonna, you're not going to like this a bit. <laughs> Oh, it's going to take forever. Getting a mortgage is literally going to take forever. And you know what? We're going to ask you for things that you don't even know you have. I mean, this is just going to be loads of fun. Now, I, you say things like that, they're going to flee, right? They're going to run off to somebody else that makes it sound a little better. But what I am suggesting is let's not forget the pain part. Let's not just focus on the rainbows and unicorns and how you make everything you know easier and better. Sure, we talked about convenience earlier, but now I'm talking about how do you relieve the discomfort? How do you make the pain less painful? If you can speak to that, it's a really strong motivator for people. And again, you're going to sound different because most people aren't, most people in sales don't want to talk about anything negative. 
So when you bring up the negative, it's fine as long as you bring up your solution. That's the key. Right? I fly a lot because I travel all over the country, and many of you listening have probably flown before. So if you've been in an airplane, you know that you're, you're way up in the sky, right? 30,000, 40,000 feet, traveling at hundreds of miles an hour. And most of the time, it's so smooth up there, you don't even know you're moving. And then every once in a while, the air gets a little bumpy and the plane starts to bounce around a little bit. And what do they call that? Right? They call that turbulence. Can you imagine if that happened and nobody from the flight attendants to the pilot or the flight crew, nobody said anything. They just let the plane start to bounce around. Everybody's up walking around and all of a sudden the storage bins start flying open and people's luggage starts falling out and people are hitting the heads on. It would be mass chaos, right? That's not what they do. In fact, they often will tell you before it even happens, hey, we hear from air traffic control, there's some rough air up ahead. For everyone's safety, we're gonna ask our flight crew to sit down and put on their seatbelts. We're going to ask that you do the same. We're going to find some smoother air. It might take about 15 or 20 minutes, but we're going to get you to your destination safely and hopefully on time. Most important thing is that it's comfortable and, and safe, right? In other words, they tell you that, hey, there's this thing coming up that might be unpleasant, but this is what we're going to do about it. This is how we're going to get through it together. This is what we need you to do. This is what we're going to, I mean, this God, does this not sound like a mortgage loan? You know, everything's going along just fine. Everything's great. And then all of a sudden, what do we have? turbulence. So speaking to how you deal with that and explaining to people how it is that you help them navigate through these difficulties, I think that's very compelling. All right, so here's, here's maybe the last thought that I have for you on value. Uh, it's an interesting thing. You'll start to notice this if you pay attention to what people so, uh, post on social media, especially where people can post not so much maybe on Facebook, since that's more truly social, but on a site like LinkedIn, which is a little more business-oriented. Um, I don't know how long ago it was ago, maybe a couple of years ago, that you know, people could start posting little videos, selfie videos of themselves on LinkedIn. Start to pay attention to what people are sharing in those videos. It is often what I would call their point of view. In fact, there's even a phrase for it in marketing, POV marketing, point of view marketing. What that means is that what they're sharing is a little bit about themselves, a little bit about their, well, in fact, I gave, you, I gave you a little bit of that at the very beginning. I gave you my worldview statement on selling when I talked about how it's not about the sale, right? That's an example of point of view marketing. I'm putting some of myself out there. People find that really interesting. People actually want to know that about you. Like, why do you even do what you do? Why are you in this business? Why do you enjoy helping people like me with the kind of problems that I have that you have solutions for? Now, why wouldn't we do that? Well, I think we, we don't want to put ourselves out there, right? We don't want to be vulnerable because, hey, some people may not like that. I mean, I could have turned off some people right away as soon as I said that selling's not about the sale. And there's probably some people that just stopped listening right then. Well, this guy doesn't have anything to say. See, I, I'm not concerned about that because uh, th that's not my ideal listener. Like, that's not who I'm trying to talk to. I'm trying to talk to the people that kind of somewhat agree with the way I see things, right? Because I can help you that way. I can't help. If we totally disagree, we have a totally different worldview, how am I going to possibly be of any value to you? How am I going to help you? But if you kind of kind of go along and agree with the way I see things, then I think I can be of tremendous value to you. So the reason that we don't do that is we want to be everything to everybody. We want to do business with everybody. We want. It's not possible anymore. 
you can't market to everyone. You, you can't be visible to everyone. So what starts to happen, and this is what you'll notice on social media, what starts to happen when people put themselves out there and start expressing their point of view. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about be controversial, be, be you know, like, let's, let's just start talking to somebody as soon as we meet them about things like politics or religion or, you know, topics that might be very controversial. Hey, maybe we can eventually get to those topics. But in the very beginning, how do we connect with people? We connect with people based on our similarities, not our differences. Well, the only way people are going to know if they're similar to you is if you start telling them about yourself. Right? Put yourself out there. And for the few people that don't like that, don't like you, don't want to do business with you, that's fine. Let them go find a more suitable choice. Remember, the goal here in selling is to make sure you're the best fit. And I, you, anyone are not the best fit for everybody. Right? So point of view marketing. All right, so just to, to kind of quickly recap value, again, some similar themes here with convenience where I suggested you define it, you start communicating it, but I gave you some, some suggestions on how to better define your value, right? To think about the problem that you solve, the solution that you provide, what needs do you meet and how do you meet them? Um, we talked a little bit about pain and pleasure. And while so many people in sales focus on the pleasurable part of the transaction, I'm suggesting you give a little bit of emphasis to the pain part as long as you can speak to how you make it better, right? In other words, don't tell people there's going to be turbulence if you have no idea how to handle it. But if you tell people there'll be turbulence and this is exactly what you'll do to fix it, people will respond favorably to that. And then finally, your own point of view, kind of putting yourself out there. That could be, that could be very uh, compelling to people. All right, so we've talked about convenience and we've talked about value. The, the last part of our value trifecta here is the word trust. And oh my gosh, the word trust. I mean, we just toss this word around. It doesn't even have any meaning anymore. All right, so the obvious implication here is that we have to trust one another to do business with each other. All right, I have to trust you to give you my business. Okay. You're like, okay, Blaine, you're, you're obvious. I'm not, I'm not hearing anything I don't know. Let me be more specific. There's a couple of things people have to trust to give you their business. One of them is personal, and the other is business. Let me actually cover the business one first. People have to trust your capabilities. This is the business side of trust. They have to trust that you are capable of doing what you said you would do. Well, that's all fine and great if we have some experience together. But what if they have no experience with you? So, I mean, you can tell them that, you know, you respond to their calls quickly. And, and remember, that's not specific enough, right? If you call and get my voicemail, I'll respond to you within 60 minutes. I'm not suggesting you have to say 60 minutes. I'm just saying that's a specific proposition, right? As opposed to, oh, I just get back to people quickly. Remember, back to that earlier point. But when you're talking to people about what you do and how you do it, but they have no history with you, how do they trust that you're capable? Well, you know the answer to this, right? Those third-party testimonials, examples, stories, right? So use leverage that to demonstrate that other people are vouching for your capability, right? Because it is, it is a tough sell, if you will, to get people to believe that you're capable when they haven't seen it yet. Now, the other thing, of course, that you can do is as you are working with them, be a person of your word, right? Don't make commitments you can't keep. And, and, you know, and again, you know, you're going to think to yourself, this sounds so basic. Yeah, it does, but it's not easy. And you don't have to look very far to find people who call themselves salespeople in one line of work or another, and they don't do half of these things at any level that we're talking about today. You really don't have to be a genius, right, to succeed in 
this world of selling and sales, but you do have to do some very fundamental things consistently well. And that's really what I'm trying to highlight and underline for you. All right, so that's the business side of trust. I have to trust your capabilities. And, uh, and the way that you help a person to do that is you show those third-party testimonials and comments and reviews. And then as you are working with them, you honor your commitments. You be that person of integrity. You don't make promises you can't keep so that people know how to rely on you. But the personal side of trust is that they have to trust your intent. That means they have to know that you're looking out for them and not for you, which gets back to my fundamental point, you know, my worldview statement that I made at the very beginning. I have to know, let's, let's just pretend I'm buying a car from somebody. I have to know that that person who's selling me a car is most interested in finding Blaine the most suitable car for Blaine at the best price for Blaine. Now, the fact that they're being compensated, the fact that they may earn a commission, that's understandable. I get that. Heck, I've sold cars. I understand that industry. I would expect that that person should be compensated. But I don't want that to be their primary focus. I don't want to be, them to be driven by the fact that they're going to make a certain amount of money by selling me something. Remember, what's on the inside shows up on the outside. I'm going to just get a bad feeling around somebody like that. I may not even know why I have this uncomfortable feeling, but I'm just going to feel like, you know, I don't know that they're really looking out for me. So I would ask you to think about how do you do that? What is it that you say or how do you demonstrate that you're in this business to serve others? You are in this business to help people. Now, of course, in the act of serving and helping, you are being compensated and you are earning a living and there's nothing wrong with that. It's the way it should be. But I don't want to know that that's your primary motivation, right? Imagine if you didn't even have to work. Like you were just doing this work because you love it. Would you do it any differently? If money was not even on your mind at all, even though you're in a commission sales position, imagine if it makes no difference if I close a transaction or not. I'm still going to come to work and I'm going to give it my all and I'm going to love what I do. I mean, I, granted, this is fantasy land, right? None of us work in that kind of an environment. But imagine if that's actually how this worked. Would you go about your work any differently? Would you speak to people any differently? Would the, the words and phrases that you use as you talk to people be any different? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it would be. If I was completely doing this out of an act of service, that would be different than... I've got bills to pay, and I really need this transaction to close so I can make some money. I'm just asking you to consider that. Okay, but still, this word trust, I mean, does anybody actually use it? I mean, if you were 30 seconds into a conversation with somebody, would you say, oh, and by the way, one of the things that you should know about me is that you could totally trust me. I mean, that may actually be a really cool thing to say to somebody, but they'd probably be a little like, what are you bringing that up for? Like, that's kind of odd to bring up trust. So we tend to dance around this word, and yet it's a really important word. So I tried to find other words that could convey or demonstrate trust without actually using the word trust, right? And so I did the homework for you. And here's, here's some words that I found that I think might be helpful that relate to trust but aren't the word trust. How about authentic or transparent? You know, if you're truly yourself, people can pick that up just like you can pick up if somebody's not being totally authentic. If you're truly transparent, right, you've got nothing to hide here. There's no hidden agenda. You're giving people all the information that they need. People can pick up on that, right? So thinking about how you are authentically yourself and how you are transparent and how you deal with people, that in itself builds trust without you ever bringing up the word. 
What about the word consistent? We trust what we can count on. So just imagine that you go home every night and you open up your closet. And it wouldn't happen every night, but every once in a while you open up your closet door and a wild animal jumps out. In fact, you don't even know what animal it will be on any given night. Well, hey, unless you're into that sort of thing, I think what most of us would do is we'd stop opening the door. In other words, you're not going to go there. If you don't know what to expect, you're going to walk. So take a look at how you go about doing what you do. Are you very consistent? Do, do people have a very consistent experience for the entire time that they're working with you? I think that's an important consideration in building trust. And I'd also add being respectful. And maybe it's our, you know, wacky political environment that we're in right now. And, and, and again, I have a different view because I, I travel all around the country. But I'm telling you, there are more open signs of disrespect than I've probably ever seen in my lifetime. There's a lot of beauty and kindness and love out there too. But I'm just saying, there's a lot of people that are disrespectful to one another. Let's not be a part of that. Like if you can just show people respect consistently, even when they're not necessarily respectful to you or when they're different from you. See, that's when it's hard. It's easy to respect people who are exactly like you or think just the way you think about things. A little harder to be respectful to people where you're different. But I think if you can consistently show people respect, they trust you more, right? Because we all want that. We all want to feel respected and, and, and kind of honored by other people. Now, what if... I asked you to go back to the idea of being specific, but with trust. What could you measure or quantify that would convince me that you are trusted? You may have never thought about that. And it's not an easy question to answer. So, I mean, if you're kind of clueless as to, I don't know what to tell you, Blaine, that's okay. These are hard questions. How about this? If you're in the mortgage business, you get a certain amount of your business, either repeat business or referred to you. If you quantify that, if you measure how much of your business comes to you that's either repeat or referred, what percentage of your business is that group? Just start telling people that. Just start telling people what that number is. You know, about 30%, or some of you might say about 50%, or I don't know what your number is. It doesn't matter, frankly, but just let people know. Now, obviously, be, be correct, right? Don't make stuff up. Because people will do their homework. People will question a number. So we need to make sure that when we give people a number, we're not just making numbers up. But whatever your number is, that, that, that's unimportant. The, the fact that you're giving them a number is what's important. So if, you're, you know, if, if half of your business is repeat or referred, and you just let people know that, does that not scream trust? Does that not basically imply that you're consistent and you're trusted? And I mean, so many of the things we've talked about, it basically just sums all that up. Right? That might be a measurement that you haven't looked at before. Last thing I'll say about trust, I, I've noticed in my travels, uh, and one of the things I like to do most mornings is get up and either go for a walk or a jog. or I'd, I'd like to say I go for a run, but I don't know that I actually run anymore. <laughs> I think I've gotten uh, enough miles on my legs uh, that it's more of a jog, really. But I, I go through these different neighborhoods and all these places I visit and travel to, and I'm starting to see these signs. Usually they're in people's yards, these little signs that people put in their yards, or it might actually literally be like a sign that, you know, the city has put into the ground. And it says something to the effect of, drive like your kids live here. 
Have you seen something like that? Have you seen those kind of signs where you live? It may not be those exact words, but it's something along the lines of drive like your kids live here. It's kind of a gentle reminder that, you know, if you're racing through a neighborhood or a subdivision, maybe, you know, you want to take a shortcut off the main road. And so you're trying to, you know, save time and race through this neighborhood that, you know, hey, 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 if, if you lived here, if your kids played in these front yards or in the street, you'd want to slow it down a bit, right? Perspective. Well, what if you sold in a small town? What if you did business with people that, you know, this isn't just going to be a transaction. I'm going to see you four times this week. This person that you're doing business with, you're going to, you're going to see him at the store. You're going to see him at the car wash. I mean, you, because you're in a small town and some of you might have experience living and working in a small town. Everybody knows each other. Everybody knows each other's business. Would reputation and trust, I mean, I think it's all elevated in that kind of an environment, right? So why don't we just pretend that even if we're in a big city? Why don't we just treat people as if we lived in a small town and that that reputation that we have really matters, even though you might never see some of these people again? And let's let's not let's not think that. Let's pretend that, you know what, I, if I come across this person four times in the next couple of weeks, am I going to feel comfortable looking at them in the eye or am I going to feel comfortable with my children knowing exactly how I treated them in the course of our doing business together. It just might be something to kick around when you're thinking about trust. All right, so I've shared a lot of perspective in this podcast. And obviously, this is, you know, to some degree, the world according to Blaine, although I've tried to do my homework and my research and validate my thoughts with other thought leaders to make sure that you know, I, I'm not seeing things in some sort of wacky way that nobody would agree with. I just have a few key takeaways, right? We've been talking about the, the value trifecta, how people are influenced to choose you to do business with. And so I, I started with this acronym CVT, right? Convenience, value, and trust. And when we talked about convenience, I I really emphasized, be specific. When you talk about how you make things convenient for people, don't just give them general sounding phrases that are meaningless, but be specific. When we talked about value, I suggested that you define exactly how is it that I get value in working with you and just make sure that you start sharing that at any opportunity that you have. Let people know how you can be of value. Let people know how you serve people. That's very attractive. That's very compelling. People will literally seek you out. It's like a magnet, really, when people understand how you do business and they resonate with that, they agree with that, they really want to do business with you and they want to refer people to you. And then we finished up talking about trust. Remember, there's kind of two kinds of trust to think about. There's the business side of trust, which is your capabilities, you know, not overcommitting, being consistent, being a person of your word. And there's also the, the intent part of trust, the personal part of trust, where I have to know that you're really looking out for me and not for you. Again, I don't care that you're looking out for you a little bit. I just need to know that that's not your primary motivation. Your primary motivation is to take care of me. So I have a few asks of you. I have a few things to ask of you as we wrap up today, as if I haven't given you enough to think about or do potentially. Um, my first ask is to take a step. Take a step with, some, with something that you've heard today, right? I mean, if this just ends up being an interesting use of your time, I mean, I guess that's okay if I got your mind off of traffic or working out or something else. But, you know, I, I'm not doing this to just be interesting. I'm doing this to help bring value to what you do and how you do it. So there's a quote that I heard once that I, I find interesting. It's, you can't change your destination overnight, but you can change your direction today. I'll repeat that. You can't change your destination overnight, 
but you can change your direction today. And so I'd ask you to take a step. Take a step in a different, slightly different direction than maybe you've been stepping before based on some of the things that I've, that I've made you think about. And the second ask I have is to tell a friend, right? Um, again, I'm not doing this with the intent of reaching a few people. I'm doing this with the intent of reaching as many people as possible that would find this information helpful. So, you know, refer a friend. Let people know that this is some, some valuable information that is out there and, and have them get plugged into listening. And my third ask would be talk with us at Arch. You know, reach out to your account manager. Let us know not only how we can be of service to you, how we, how we can bring better, more value to you. I mean, sure, we're a mortgage insurance company, but as you'll notice, I didn't talk about that once today because that's not really what drives us. I mean, I suppose I can't speak for everybody at the company, but I think what we're all about is helping our customers do more business, do better business. So to some degree, we need to hear from you, right? You need to let us know. How can we partner with you? How can we be helpful? And specifically on a selfish note, I'd be curious to know how this is sitting with you, this information that you're hearing, the whole idea of, you know, pushing this out via podcast. You know, I, I do most of my presenting in person with live audiences. And so this is a, a new way to get information out to our customers and anybody else who's interested. So let your account manager know, you know, what you think about the podcast and any suggestions for topics or things that we could speak to you on that would, that would bring you value. It's really been my privilege to take up a little bit of your time today. That's really it for this podcast. I hope you found it valuable, that your investment of time was worthwhile. Again, this is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. Thanks for listening. Arch Capital Group Limited's U.S. mortgage insurance operation, ArchMI, is a leading provider of private insurance covering mortgage credit risk. Headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina, ArchMI's mission is to protect lenders against credit risk while extending the possibility of responsible homeownership to qualified borrowers. ArchMI's flagship mortgage insurer, Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, is licensed to write mortgage insurance in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. For more information, please visit archmi.com. ArchMI is a marketing term for Arch Mortgage Insurance Company and United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. All rights reserved.